Hello and welcome to Faithfully Memphis. This is Father Gary Mead, the rector of St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Every Thursday at 8 a.m., WYXR 91.7 FM in Memphis welcomes Bishop Phoebe Rofe and others associated with the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee for conversations about leaders in the faith, past and present. This morning, I want to talk to you about a group of saints known as the Righteous Gentiles, and then I'll be introducing my guest, a woman of faith leading an extraordinary ministry in Dyer County, Tennessee. I love going to the movies. I'm a big fan of movies, have been a, <laughs> for as long as I can remember. I like the escape, to be honest with you. I like I like sort of seeing other lives. I like visiting other worlds, experiencing other universes. Movies provide a great distraction. It may be brief. It may just be a moment's entertainment. It may just be a few laughs, maybe a few thrills, but I love movies. But I tell you, I had never had a cinematic experience like the one I still remember so vividly from early in 1994, nearly 30 years ago. This was a director whose work I'd seen many times before. He's a very popular, very successful director. And I had enjoyed his movies, movies like Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., and Jurassic Park. But this, this was different beautifully and starkly photographed in in black and white. Schindler's List was more than just a movie. This was a film. This was art. Art that was both raw and refined. Art that was challenging, provoking, gripping, immersive, intense, and deeply, deeply moving. Based on a book by Australian novelist Thomas Keneally, the film brings the viewer along a journey with German businessman Oskar Schindler as he answers the horrors of the Second World War by providing sanctuary, safety, and salvation to as many as 1,300 Jews who otherwise would have died in the Holocaust. As inspiring as his story is, he's not alone. Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum that sits just outside of Jerusalem, Yad Vashem has identified more than 23,000 men and women, Gentiles, who worked to save Jewish lives during the Holocaust. And they've been given the title Righteous Gentiles. These were people of faith from very diverse backgrounds, different nations, certainly different faith traditions, who each found ways to answer Hitler's reign of terror with acts of surpassing courage and kindness, acts that saved others, even, even though those others didn't share their background, their nationality, or even their faith. Certainly faith was one big difference between the righteous Gentiles and the Jews whom they saved. But you know that difference? That was not nearly as important as what they held in common. Because what they shared, what they held in common was this, their humanity. The truth that each human life is life. Life created by God. Life created in the image of God. And every life is precious and beloved by God. In the Episcopal Church calendar on July 16, we remember these righteous Gentiles, and in the book Holy Women, Holy Men, the Church has named just a few of them, 
just to give us a glimpse of some of the heroic and deeply compassionate efforts to save Jewish lives, to save human lives. There's a Lutheran, Raoul Wallenberg, a diplomat who issued Swedish passports to thousands of Hungarian Jews and extended to them the safety of diplomatic immunity. Not, I imagine, that he was supposed to. He did it anyway. There is an Episcopalian, Hiram Bingham IV, an American diplomat in France who protected Jews by ignoring State Department protocols and arranging escape routes. He even provided shelter in his own home for many Jews. That couldn't have been a safe choice. There's an evangelical Karl Lutz, a Swiss diplomat assigned to Budapest. Among his many efforts to save Hungarian Jews, he is best remembered for his negotiations with Nazi officials, negotiations which saw over 10,000 Jews safely transported to Palestine. There's an Orthodox believer, Chiyun Sugihara, a Japanese consul in Lithuania, who violated official diplomatic policy so that he could provide Jews with travel credentials. As a result, thousands of Jews escaped, but Sugihara did not. Well, he was removed from his country's foreign service because of his violations of policy. He was forced to live the rest of his life in disgrace. But thousands of Jews simply had life. And then there's French Reformed believer André Trocmé and his wife Magda. A pastor, André saved thousands of lives as he and others in nearby communities created safe havens for Jews fleeing Nazi terror. It is hard for us living today to imagine the challenge and the difficulty of those days. Well, we can imagine it, but we can only imagine it. We can only imagine the, the, the horror and the fear Now, these days, our current political climate can be pretty divisive. We can be pretty angry. There's plenty of anger, fear, even hatred today, but none of that. None of that even comes close to the destruction, the slaughter, and the plain evil suffered by millions of Jews during the Holocaust. What Jews, and let's be honest, there were other groups also subjected to Nazi hatred, what they experienced during World War II was, well, that was far, far worse than anything that any of us know today. But as we look back in history, as we consider the evil of those days, days when the very foundations of civilization were being challenged and shaken, a verse from Psalm 11 comes to mind. When the foundations are being destroyed... What can the righteous do? Well, when so many lives were being so casually destroyed during World War II, we are reminded of what the righteous can do as we remember the examples of the righteous Gentiles. Tens of thousands of people who gave life to the commandment found first in Leviticus and reaffirmed by Jesus himself. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, these weren't especially extraordinary people. All of the righteous Gentiles were, first of all, people. And like all people, they were imperfect, flawed, limited, even at times, weak and scared. And yet, in the midst of extraordinary moments, their humanity, their imperfect, flawed, limited humanity, along with their faith in God... Well, that helped them to do what was right, even when others were doing what was so clearly wrong. 
Now, if these righteous Gentiles, numbering in the tens of thousands, if these perfectly ordinary humans could be the bearers of light in dark times, well, then perhaps so can we. After all, we're just as imperfect, flawed, limited. We're just as weak and scared sometimes as those saints whom we remember this day. When evil abides, when anger echoes, when life itself is in peril, the righteous Gentiles remind us of our own power, our own power to act, our own ability to cast off the darkness by sharing the light, by sharing God's own light of love, God's own light of care, God's own light of protection. May we all be bearers of this sacred, life-affirming, life-giving, life-saving light. Bad news everywhere Broken hearts in need of prayer But there's hope in His grace And together we can give it away do we hesitate? One day might be too late. We gotta share the gospel from our heart. Cause there's no better place to start. Oh,
We've just listened to a song called Love Your Neighbor by Jamie Kimmett, and I found it uh, really a, a reference a referral by my good friend Google, was looking for a song about how you know loving your neighbor. And my usual church music is, is all old organ stuff, so it was kind of fun <laughs> to find a contemporary song to express something powerful. Um, Melissa Brubaker is the executive director at Matthew 2540. She's my guest this morning. Melissa, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thank you. So a song about love your neighbor. I mean, does that does that strike a chord with you at all? Yes, I, I, I believe that God has called us to love everyone and to become the neighbor, to become the friend, um, to become the person that those people can look to. Um, they may not have friends. They may be lonely. So being a neighbor, being a friend, how does that, um, how does that fit in with your work, your, your ministry at Matthew 2540? Well, we, we believe in getting very involved and um, intimate um, with our clients. We, we become part of their family. We, we may go a little deeper than what some agencies may go, but you know, we care about the whole person versus just that specific need and taking care of it. We, we feel like it all stems together. We want to love who they are. We want to love their family. We want to love them to hope. Now, when you're talking about your clients, what, when clients come to you, what needs do they present? Um, mostly, they present the need for food and clothing. That's the beginning. That's what I call the beginning of the relationship. Or they may come in um, with a financial emergency, maybe a utility bill. Maybe they've hit a bad situation, which we all know last year that was it was just one big tragedy um, for families. And so we, we try to help them with their needs. It can be a utility bill or medications or um, rent, just somewhere where we can help the basic needs of their lives. Wonderful. Now, how long have you how long have you been at Matthew? I've been at Matthew for almost six years. Um, this coming December, which I'm excited about. Wow, big anniversary! So, what brought you to Matthew? I believe that God brought me to Matthew. Um, I was uh, previously working for another nonprofit, and um, just really found out about the open door accidentally, and. Um, decided to kind of push my way in. <laughs> so I did. And and so here I am, you know, six years later, loving everything that we do. Now, of course, you didn't start as the executive director, but no. you took uh, took over those responsibilities not too long after you, you started at Matthew, right. as I recall. Right. And I mentioned this, I just full disclosure, Matthew 2540 is an agency that was started what, 25, 35 years ago? Yes. By uh, St. Mary's Episcopal Church, the church at which I'm a rector. In fact, your ministry is housed in, in a building and on property that the church owns. Yes. Which we're delighted because... because <laughs> well, you're we good, are too. <laughs> you're, well, your good work makes us look so good in the community. You know, it really does. Goodness. But you've been executive director for a few years now, and obviously you're, you're just you, you keep you keep at it in a, in a work that must be just exhausting sometimes. It can be exhausting, um, but for me, it feeds more life and energy into me than um, probably doing nothing. Um, I I find my rest in serving, and um, so that's something maybe unique just about myself. But it's um, 
something that just keeps me focused um, on others. And that, that's what my heart is, others. Wonderful. Well, okay, that's, I think that's a good segue into the name of the agency, Matthew yes. 2540. Yes. That sounds rather kind of like a Bible verse to me, doesn't it? Do you, perhaps? Yes, it is a Bible verse. <laughs> it really is. It really is. So what the, can you tell us what the verse is? Uh, the verse is, um, it's speaking of the sheep, and it's referring to um, they were offering um, things to others, those mm-hmm. in need. And some were, it's, it's trying to invest us into giving what people need. Right. And, and isn't Jesus saying, when you, fed, when you fed these, when you took care of these needs, yes. you were taking care of me. Whenever you took care of the least of these, right. you were caring for me. He's talking yes. about what we're charged to do, what we're called to do as Christians yes. in, in how we love our neighbor, isn't it? Yes. And he's also saying, not only if you do all of these wonderful things to the least of these, you're doing these unto me. He's also saying, if you don't do these things, that is what you're doing unto me. And that is one of the things that keeps me focused because um, I would rather, I tell some of our volunteers, I would rather be guilty of giving more than failing to give. And so that's kind of our philosophy there. We try not to turn people away in need. And yet... I know this because, as I said, I think I said this earlier, I'm on the board of directors for Matthew, so I'm somewhat aware of what you're doing. (laughs) And and also, as as being the director of a church around the corner from you, I see some of the same people, I think, that come see you for assistance. And I will tell you, sometimes I really struggle with people who sometimes come to me with need that is genuine. And then there are people who come to me with need that seems genuine, Mm -hmm. but may not be. I mean, do you encounter that where people just, they're able to tell such a good story. It is so compelling. Mm-hmm. And how do you discern? I mean, how, how, how do you discern the people to assist? I mean, you have limited resources. You can't help out everybody. No. How do you, how do you make that call, that judgment? Um, one of the ways, um, obviously, is prayer. Um, we, we, we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us um, and open the doors for people's lives. Other, other ways are relationships. A lot of our clients, um, they may start out being someone who needs food, um, but through relationship, we, we begin to understand the depth of their need um, for their families. And sometimes we are um, led to families who, through others who may know of a need, like yesterday. Um, you know, we were closed yesterday. It was my day off. I spent probably five or six hours of my day off, which is what I love, <laughs> um, working um, outside of, of our building. I, I picked up an inmate from a, a, a jail in another county. I brought them home. Um, I took food to a family that I had been um, led to earlier in the day. I picked up some medication for a client. I took some food over to her who she's in need. I mean, so the list goes on, but I mean, that that's what we do. It's through word of mouth. It's through relationship and it's through knowing the person. I mean, you, you learn the people who are more of the manipulator. Um, yet we still love the manipulator. I, you know, and I can, I can second that because I have seen you interact with people that, that you know, because you've told me, 
You know, this is a manipulator. This is somebody who's gaining. This is somebody who can never can never tell you the truth. Right. And, and yet, it's one of the things I just treasure about and, and so inspired by your ministry is that you see everybody as a child of God. And you, you love on everybody because everybody you see is made in the image of God. Yes. I mean, that, that's, that's what I sense in how you approach your work, your ministry. That is. That's, that's exactly how I feel. Um, I think God um, calls us to do that as, as believers. Well, we're called to do that. But there is, a, there is a disconnect sometimes between what we're called to do and what we actually do. I right. mean, there's a disconnect between, you know, it's one thing. I, I'm a preacher. I can, I can stand in the pulpit and, and proclaim, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. Yes. And people can smile and nod their head. Yes, we're going to. Yes, we're supposed to. But, but I'll be honest, that means nothing. That means nothing unless that love your neighbor is expressed not just in our words, but in our deeds and our yes. actions and our choices. It's funny you said that. Um, one of the one of my philosophies personally is words hold little value without action. Um, it's real easy as a believer, as a Christian, as a servant of God. Um, it's real easy to speak things that seem right but it's a lot harder to walk them out and live them um you love the alcoholic you embrace the broken um prostitute you love them um you you think of the passages of scripture where jesus wasn't judging he was loving you know, even though the lady might have been stoned that was caught in the, um, or preparing to be stoned, caught in the act of adultery, Jesus was very quick to say, wait a minute, who without sin here? Um, go ahead. If, if there's no sin in your life, cast the stone. And so, you know, I, I believe that we are to love like Christ and we are to go by his example. That's what we try to do <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's absolutely wonderful. And and I can't help but be reminded of something that is attributed to St. Francis, Francis of Assisi. Whether he actually said it or not, I don't know, but I love it. Um, <laughs> in fact, I need to have it on, on my wall where I, where I see it every day. Um, he is supposed to have said, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. I love that. You you actually introduced me to that. Actually a few years ago, but that that's how that's how we live our lives. That's you know, we have um we have staff, we have another person on staff, and I love that our hearts are exactly the same. Um you know, my coworker Misty, we we love people. And um so many times, I mean, can you imagine the impact of love? In Christ that comes through action versus words. I remember telling people so many times just in trying to encourage and instruct people that God had given me opportunity to teach and, and lead, um, you know, the very thought that people, um, let me get this right because I haven't said it in a while, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so it's not the knowledge that you have because wisdom comes from God. It's the it's the heart 
of Christ. And that's what makes the difference. That's what makes the difference. And, and very few people see it. Um, and you don't care if people see it because who you care that sees it are the people that you're touching. Um, the community may not see the depth of God's love that is going out. They just may see the, 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 the hard work and the constant, you know, plowing to see things happen or to request funds or you, you know what I'm saying. Um, so, but it's, there's, there's a reason for it. Well, I will say that I think people in, in our community, at least, do see what Matthew's doing. They may not see it in the way you in, in, yes. intended because they're not seeing the, the, the direct uh, relationships and connections mm-hmm. you're making with your clients, the support that you give them, the things that you do. You know, you were just I know you were telling me earlier today about um, uh, picking up a client after he'd been released from jail. Yes. And you're, you've helped him get into a, a rehab program. Right. Um, you know, I mean, that's. That's going way above and beyond, you know, here's a bag of groceries and a, and a clean shirt and a pair of pants to wear. I mean, you're really involved in some of your clients' And so lives. many people have given up on this. Just since we're speaking about this particular person, I was just at his home earlier speaking to his neighbors. <laughs> and they're just, like, confused. Confused? <laughs> What's going on here? Why are you so invested in this life that, in their eyes, is not worth anything? And, um, you know, I tried to explain that, hey, you know, we care about our clients and what we're, you know, he's going to rehab. And um, the thing about it is, I just feel like, can you imagine being a grown man and 60-something years old and last time you're at rehab, you were in your 20s? I just feel like maybe at this point with somebody supporting and loving and caring and believing that he could do it, maybe that would be the difference. Maybe, maybe. But what I was going to say was, I think people do see, they say they don't understand the depths of it, the nuance of what it is you do. But I remember uh, what happened shortly after, um, at the early days of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. when the word came down that things were shutting down, Mm -hmm. including schools, which meant that for many in our community, and I'm sure other communities as well, that was going to be a real hardship for those kids in in many ways. But you picked up, I just remember, and it's so clearly burned into my mind, that your concern jumped to the fact that so many of our kids depend on going to school early in the morning to get breakfast mm-hmm. and they depend upon getting that lunch yes. and they were going to be denied access to, to some of those resources to them. They, they weren't going to have food and right. have food. And, and what <laughs> folks listening, uh, Melissa here, what she did was extraordinary. She simply said, we're going to meet the need. We're going to provide dinners. And I remember thinking at the time, well, that's a lovely idea. But how? how? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How are you going to do that? So, where are you getting all the food? How are you paying for it? Who's going to pass all this stuff out? How are you going to do that? Yeah, your answer was, I don't know, but we're going to do it. And you found a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And and what, what it just what didn't just happen? You right. it was an act of, of of will and of faith on your part. Yes. And and people responded to that because next thing we know, Pizza Hut says, Well, how many pizzas do you need? We'll bring you pizzas this week. Right. You know, and and others, Chick Fil A, Chick Fil A, Domino's, um, McDonald's, Sonic, right? Yeah, um, and and other Little groups. Caesars. Oh, that's right. Papa oh. John's. Yeah. Yeah, tons. I mean, the list goes on of local businesses yeah. who said, we want to help. People came by and, and, and brought stuff. Well, I was at Sam's Club, and they bring in wow. whatever. Um, and I know that individuals and, and businesses came by with, hey, could you use a couple hundred dollars? Could you th- use a thousand dollars, whatever it was? Yes. I mean, you had some incredible donations mm-hmm. that flowed in because yes. people became aware of what Matthew was doing at, at this moment of crisis. 
and not stopping to figure out how to do it or how it was going to look or how do we publicize it. Yes. You simply stepped out in faith. Mm. And it worked. Oh, my, did it ever. For 10, for 10 straight weeks, Monday through Friday, we did meals, and it was a drive through And um, we served over 21,000 meals over that 10 weeks. Now, that may not sound a lot if you're living in a big city. Because no. I know, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, and I looked this up the other day, there's 937,000 people in Shelby County. <laughs> yeah. That's a little bit bigger than we are in Dyer right. County. We only have 37,000 right. in all of Dyer County. Right. So, Shelby, you're, you're, you outstrip us by about 900,000 people. <laughs> Dyersburg, we have about 16,000 right. population altogether, whereas Memphis um, has about 650,000 yeah. altogether. So it, it's a very different scale. Very so given different. that scale, the, the fact that you did 21,000 meals. That's a lot. I mean, it, it really is huge. And, and in our small community, it made a big, big difference. Mm-hmm. It did. And, you know, the, the thing that comes to mind is I think, well, yes, our communities, small town communities, large communities, they rally together. They do come together in a crisis. But, you know, one thing I would I would want everyone to know is every day's a crisis for the families that we serve it, it may not be covid but there there we have you know all of our clients live in a very high crisis state um children who cannot eat that's a crisis um Bills that cannot be paid because you've lost your job or you've had um, your husband has passed away or, you know, whatever illness has come. I mean, there's crisis all around our communities. And we have to understand that just because our lives are not in crisis, that doesn't mean that there's not a huge array of people who are dealing with crisis at all times. And your ability to to understand that and to see that, I mean, is obviously critical to what you do at Matthew. Yes. Something else that you do that I think most of us are, are we're just not tuned into is you see who I would call the invisible people, mm-hmm. people that that most of us wouldn't pay any attention to. We wouldn't pay, we wouldn't be mindful of them. In any significant way, but more than once I've been chatting with you at Matthew and you look at the door and go, oh, there goes so and so. And you know who it is. You know what their name is. You know what their story is. You know what their challenges are. Uh, you know what their quirks are. You know these people. What, what is it? How is it that who, who do you think is invisible in our communities? Who do we need to see? And, and what do we do about that for those of us who don't do what you do full time? I think the the most invisible to me are the homeless. Sometimes people don't appear homeless. But there's such a high level of mental illness when it comes to the homeless and usually addiction that, you know, they're just wandering aimlessly all day, all night. Um, they eat the food we give them. You know, they don't, they can't go sit down in a restaurant and have a $2 cheeseburger. They're just walking and, and, and the loneliness of that lifestyle without anybody caring or talking and having a conversation with you. You know, you can imagine how that feeds into their mental illness. You know, that's why you see them talking to themselves so much. You know, they don't have conversation 
um, with a lot of people. And so that that's one um, field of people that I would see as in, people see as invisible. Another um, would be those who are in bondage of addiction. You know, it's it's such an extreme level and and I've learned that people are so honest I had a lady come in today for assistance and we were doing our financial assistance today and I looked at her and she was talking to me about um, she her boyfriend and her had allowed a homeless um, couple to move in and of course I asked who is it because I, I thought I might know them I didn't know them um, but I, I began to ask her, I was like, well, you know, you need to be careful because a lot of times they're there to, you know, they may want shelter, but they also may want your things because usually there's some kind of drug addiction. And anyway, all that to say, I then got a little deeper and I said, let me ask you something. Does your boyfriend have a drug problem? And she said, yes, ma'am. And I said, do you have a drug problem? And she said, yes, ma'am. And, you know, they're very honest. When they sense the care and the love and, and not judgment. Yeah, because I was going to say, I can't imagine they're honest with all people at all times. No, they're not. I mean, that, that, that's that got to come out of that that special place, that relationship that you... You sense it. You sense you sense in somebody's face that there's, there's a sense of hopelessness. People don't want to be drug addicts. People don't want to be alcoholics. But, I mean, when you've been drinking since you were 16 and you're now 63, every single day of your life excessively, that's a bondage that is very difficult to climb out of. You're not going to climb out of it because someone looks at you and points their finger and says, you need to stop. You know, that that's not what addiction is. Another, another group of people that totally ripped my heart out. I had posted some pictures this week. This weekend, we had passed out food on the 4th of July that night, went to the family's homes and took them a plate of barbecue and potato salad and baked beans and some desserts. And um, I saw a car at this one little area that we were at, and I could hear it yelling, Miss Melissa! And there they were, you know, three of my little precious babies that come into Matthew. And... um, So, of course, I run over there. They're so happy to see me, and they're young. You know, the youngest is made very young, like probably three, maybe four, and maybe seven. And anyway, I got them out of the car. You know, they wanted to get pictures. You know, they love to take their pictures. And as I was holding um, not the youngest, but the one in between, she was holding on to me so tightly, and she kept taking her hands and just just rubbing my face. And it just ripped my heart out because, you know, the void of love, and not just love, nurturing and just feeling and having that tangible embrace of love instead of like chaotic drug addiction mess all around them and always hungry, always dirty. You know, it's just... It's crazy, and it just, they're, they're invisible. Those babies are invisible, and there's nothing that will pull my heartstrings really more than a family with children that I can visually see that are neglected and abused on some level. Mm. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. But you keep at it. Yeah, I'm not stopping. <laughs> has being called to Matthew, has this been a blessing for you? Oh, Yes. 
Yes, it has. I, I had gone through a, I had gone through a storm. We all go through storms in our lives, and I had even made a small move um, to another nearby city, trying to find that place where you know I could serve and minister. And um, I still lived here in Dyersburg, but I was driving down Forest Street one day, which is one of our main streets where there's a lot of needy activity. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it. Shady and needy all at the same time. And so um, I'm driving along, and this was years ago, and I just I felt such a strong urgency in me that this is where God wanted me. And so I ended up, you know, leaving where I was because, you know, sometimes we flee um, to find what we're looking for because we're, we're, we're scared over here, but yet we, we're looking for where God wants us. Anyway, it's just, it's amazing that I'm where I am. I mean, you may not even know this, but when I was a teenager um, over here in our building, y'all's building that we serve out of, we had a Christian um, bookstore there and it was called hidden treasures and we also had a teenage coffee house so every friday and saturday night we would we would serve um and, and love all kinds of people that would come in and out and it was mainly for teenagers but we'd have you know little bands come in and it was just it was so much fun but i think of all the experiences that i had there in the same building it just hit me one day mm. oh my gosh this is where I really, at a very young age, started developing my love for this community. And then here I am in this building again. And I just I just feel like it's so destined for me. It's exciting. That's wonderful. Now, before we, we met to, uh, to record this interview, I had asked you if you would pick out a, a song that, would, that was particularly meaningful to you and to your, and to your ministry. And you, you offered I Thank God by Maverick City Music and Upper Room. Yes, um, which we're gonna we're gonna play we're gonna play most of it. The the full song yes. it runs almost eight minutes. It's long. We're, 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 we, <laughs> I've cut it down just a little bit. Yes. Um, but 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 uh, what actually what let's do is let's go ahead and listen to the song and then okay. we'll come back and you can tell me about it. Okay. We'll be right back.
Right, that was I Thank God by Maverick City Music and Upper Room. So what was it about that song? What is, what is it about that song that speaks to your heart? I listen to this song often, probably at least once or twice a day. Um, I love it. It's when I hear it, it exerts hope in me for others. Um, when you, you know, when you, if you hear some of these words or if you take the time to listen and I mean, you know, go through the whole song, it's, it's lengthy, but it's powerful. And, um, I feel like, you know, people who have found themselves in bondage and where they are is a lot of times they've gone through some pretty dramatic things. And, um, I just love how sometimes you know they need to know hey there's a really awesome powerful god that can bring a powerful hope to your life you know i don't want people to ever think that god is weak but meth is cool or more powerful god is way more powerful than anything that tries to hold us back or 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 keep us defeated um, is the journey to get there hard? Yes, it is, but, but, but it's powerful. And so this song, it just speaks so much. I love the chorus. There's so much in the verses as well, but the chorus says, you picked me up, you turned me around. God picks us up. You know, he doesn't leave us there to figure it out on our own. He picks us up. He turns us around. He, he will lead us in the direction that will place us where we can get the hope we need. He It says he places our feet on solid ground. You know, people live in such a state of um, instability. But we all know that Jesus is really the rock of our salvation. He is the foundation. And so I love that it says he picks us up, he turns us around, he places our feet um, on solid ground. And down further it says, he healed my heart, he changed my name. And that... It's what God does. He heals us. And not only does he heal us, he changes our name. We no longer have to be called alcoholic. We no longer have to be called addict. We no longer have to be called depressed. We we can be called victorious. We can be called set free because that's who he is. And I just, I want so badly to... Let people know that God can come into the midst of their tragedy, of their life that seems hopeless, of of choices that have led them down just the path of hell and darkness. And he can bring hope. He can bring hope. So I hope that you'll listen to this whole song. The bridge is not on here, okay? It will, I don't know what it is, the bridge, the refrain, whatever. But it says, get up, get up get up out of that grave people live in a grave of death when they're in bondage when they are they're suffocating in their stresses and so just the the thought that you don't have to live in the grave anymore you can live in life because jesus christ is life right I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> I'm not in the church. I'd better believe that or I'm in trouble, That's right? right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing that, 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 is, that astonishes me. Because right now, what I've heard you saying is something that, you know, should be, should be proclaimed from every pulpit. Yep. Right? Because people need, people need hope. 
Yes. Well, we really need hope. Maybe it's just, I don't think I'm the only one, but I, I need hope. I need yeah, more hope in my life. Hope. I think we all need that. And, and certainly the clients that you see, the clients that you seek out, you know, yes. they need help. Um, then they need that hope, don't they? When you are when you are helping your clients, when you're interacting, you're building those relationships. Do you stop along the way and say, "Before I give you clothes, let me give you a sermon"? No, no, no. I, I don't. I no. I don't do that. Um, I, I love the way that God usually opens doors for me to be a sermon <laughs> or to have opportunities to um, share the love of Christ. You were just talking about hope. And I had highlighted this scripture earlier because this is kind of something that God's been putting in my heart recently. Um, it's in Romans and it's in chapter eight and it's verse 24. And what it says, of course, I'm reading out of the New International Reader's Version, which is a fourth grade level. I love it because it's so simplistic. But this is what it says. It says, that's the hope we had when we were saved or when we accepted Christ, when we found Christ, when Christ revealed himself to us. But hope that can be seen, it's not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? We hope for what we don't have yet. So we are patient as we wait for it. I love the fact that every single day I can live my life bringing hope to people. They can't see their hope. They're looking. They may be looking for hope, but they're looking for the answers that they already have. But they need to come to the realization that, you know, you've got to look beyond that. and You've got to look to things maybe that you didn't intentionally think like the beggar at the door, at the gate, beautiful. Mm. He asked Peter and John, hey, can you please give me some money? What, you got any silver? You got any gold? And it's like, oh, look at me. We don't have silver. We don't have gold. But, but here's what, what we, we do have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're giving this, we'll give this to you. And what happened? He rose up and he, he took what they said. They, they believe, he believed it. And he walked into the temple. So, so even though you are in the business, and I use that word, and yeah. I put that in air quotes, if you yeah. imagine that, you are in the business, so to speak, of giving out clothing, of giving out food, yeah. of helping with an electric bill, of getting people, getting their prescription filled, if that's what they need. Um, but it seems to me that what you're really giving out aren't any of those material things. That's not the most important thing you're doing. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's... To me, hope, the hope of Christ mm. and the hope of um, finding and believing that you deserve hope. Well, and if, if people are in a place where they're cold because they don't have a jacket or they are hot because they can't get the, the air on because they can't pay right. the electric bill or they're, they're hungry or their babies are hungry, how can they receive a message of hope? You know, and, and unless, yeah, unless those other <laughs> needs are being met. Right. right? I mean, that's the, the gospel isn't just the gospel of good ideas. And wouldn't it be nice? The gospel mm -hmm. is lived out, I think, in its fullest when we take care of the full person, the whole person, the whole person, you know, which means meeting the meeting, the addict, meeting the, the depressed person, meeting the person who, who has mental health issues right. and lifting them up in whatever ways we can. 
Because yeah. I think I think Jesus did nothing less than that. He didn't. He that's that's what Jesus did. He went to where the broken and the hurting are, and he um, he brought hope. And he and, and 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 then the disciples continued. The apostles continued after Jesus ascended. That was their calling. They they said, "This is what Jesus was doing. This is what we will do." And so they continued it. And so that's why Sunday night on the Fourth of July was such a thrill. And we do do that often. We do it daily, really, to be honest. Um, there's nothing better than going into a home of someone who like I'm thinking man I would never let anybody in my house if they if it looked like this but they they don't care about that because we don't care we don't care what their home looks like we don't care if they're drunk we don't care if they're um what they're dealing with we just want to make sure that they know that hey we're part of your family and we care about your need now how can we get you to the hospital because you've been sick for a while now or what can we do to help you not maybe buy quite as much alcohol? You know, one of the words we hear about a lot, um, we think about about God and, and gospel work and what it is to be people of faith and, and what our relationship with God is. How do we define that? One of the words that often is used is the word grace. Mm-hmm. And I think that may mean different things to different people, but... How, how do you know God's grace? Or, or how might you define God's grace? God's grace is His love shed upon us, even though we really may not deserve it. Um, it's, it's unconditional. He, he gives us His grace. He gives us His mercy on a daily basis. I, I just shared with my Sunday school class Sunday that I love um, the scripture that says um, that the blessings and the mercy of God is new every single morning. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't cut off. Well, I mentioned grace, and it's a rather awkward segue, I suppose, because there's a bit of music that I love. Earlier, I said I love yeah. old, you know, old style hymns with, yes. and there is an old style hymn that sings all about grace. But I wanted to share with you a version of that that happens in a whole new way. It's amazing grace, but it's it's a performance by the Red Hot Chili Pipers, <laughs> and I think it's a wonderful presentation. It's an old hymn, Melissa. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. Amazing 
Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed that. It's one of my favorites. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. I want to especially thank Melissa Brubaker for blessing us with her time, her insight, and certainly her amazing love for God's people. To learn more about the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee, please look for us on Facebook and Instagram, and our website is edwtn.org. Past episodes of Faithfully Memphis may be found on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. When you find us, be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. This is Father Gary Mead for Faithfully Memphis. Until next time, God bless you. Stay safe and stay positive.